practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And there's a, there's a certain part of me that didn't really want to talk about this this morning. Uh, you know, the, the part of me that realizes that we all get really uncomfortable when we start talking about how we handle our money. Uh, it's probably the same part of Dan that caused him to be on vacation this week. Um, but there, there is there's this really big part of me that would like to leave these types of conversations just undiscussed, just not disturb the various elephants in the room. One thing about these verses, though, is that they assume our generosity. It doesn't, it doesn't say if you give to the poor. It says when you give to the poor. So I, I can't. It, it is something that we need to talk about. I would rather not because we do. We get a little weird about it. And Dan even talked about adultery last week, but I would imagine there's a lot of us in this room that would rather spend another week talking about that than our money. But I can't. I, I can't just avoid these types of conversations, namely because Dan told me to talk about it, so I don't really have a choice. Um, but, but really, really because we need to pay attention to the things that Jesus pays attention to. And let me explain. In, in Mark 12, a little bit of background. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of a discussion with his disciples about what it looks like to truly follow him. He just went on a little bit of a rant about the Pharisees and uh, how they aren't actually following him. So he says, here, let's go. Let's, let's take a little field trip. Let's see if we can find ourselves a better example. And then in verse 41, he says this, uh, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. And if I can interject really quickly, I am very thankful that Dan doesn't follow around the offering plate watching all of us as we put our money in and kind of commenting like, oh, thank you, or, or not, I don't know. But uh, it is one of the reasons I give online. It's actually a little more private that way. I know you don't believe me, but, um, but as awkward as it may be for, for some of us, for me to be talking about this, uh, I just want you guys to know that there is a whole other level out there, the Jesus level of weirdness and, and we aren't going to get into that, all right? We're not, we're not going to sit around and watch you guys uh, put into the offering plate, so I guess you're welcome. Uh, but that's what Jesus does here. He, he parks himself right by where people are putting in their tithes, and he just sits there with the disciples watching and waiting. He says, oh, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. And then he sees it. He gets excited. He starts poking the people next to him, and he says this, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So I'm not actually talking about tithing this morning. I'm talking about generosity. They go hand in hand, but they are two distinct things. Our tithe is commanded in Scripture, 
but our generosity is assumed in Scripture. Both are necessary parts of the Christian life, but I bring this passage up to say that we need to pay attention to the things that Jesus pays attention to. And Jesus paid a significant amount of attention to how we use our money. Because nothing gets in between God and his people more than their money. Especially here in this culture, in this country, Satan uses no tool of his more to attack God's people than their money. So I thought maybe the most appropriate thing for me to do this morning would be to take you guys on my admittedly relatively short journey of learning to manage my own finances and hopefully at some point some of the victories or the difficulties and everything in between uh, might strike a chord with you and and we can hopefully be encouraged together and I know Matthew says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and, and I don't want any of us to become arrogant in our generosity but I do think we could all benefit from maybe being a little bit more open about it because nothing nothing gets in between God and his people more than our money nothing is true and the difficulty with that truth for me and I would imagine for a lot of us in this room is that uh, we don't use our money all that poorly I mean if if you do that's a little more obvious why it's a problem but but uh, I, I didn't buy things that I shouldn't I, I didn't put myself into some absurd debt we don't, uh, we aren't overtly selfish with our money, we aren't unwise with our money, we aren't really sinful with our money, so how on earth can my money be getting in between me and God? That was a difficulty for me to deal with, and William Shakespeare wrote in his play, All's Well That Ends Well, love all, trust a few, do wrong to none. Well, what it seems like he's suggesting here is that it's easier to love somebody than to trust somebody. There's a certain amount of truth to that, especially with God. We know God. We're learning a lot about God. We're loving God, serving God, trying to obey God. But sometimes we can become so focused on our behaviors that we miss what's going on in our hearts. Do I really trust God? Because I can follow God just about anywhere except the places that force me to trust Him the most. And if trust is the foundation of every great relationship, which we know it is, I need to genuinely examine that in my life. Do I trust God? I've come face to face with that hard question a few different times in my life. Not too long ago, I was affiliated with a church that I didn't, I didn't necessarily like the way that they spent their money. Now this, of course, was just an excuse for me to not give them mine, but along with the fact that I was on a very fixed income. I needed that money to live, of course. Uh, also, I would make all kinds of promises. I don't know if this might sound familiar to any of you, but I would make all kinds of promises, like I am way more likely to use this money to be generous to help people than this church is. Right? They, they won't use it right, and God, God tells me to be a good steward of my money, so that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I will use this better than this church. And let's just examine that time period in my life in a few different ways, starting with the obvious lie. I wasn't using it to help other people. I was using it for myself. But also the incredible arrogance that assumed I knew every little thing that was going on behind the scenes at that place, as if I knew where every single penny was going, and I didn't. I didn't take the time to research that. I just didn't want to give them my money. 
and, and more so the blatant disregard for, uh, for what God wants for my life. He wants my heart. He wants my trust. And part of trusting God that's so hard, one of the things that's so hard is trusting His commands and trusting His church. See, I was trying to take my tithe and say that I'll use it to be generous, but those aren't the same thing. They're two different things. Our tithe is commanded and our generosity is assumed for every follower. And how the money gets used is actually of less concern to God than whether or not he has my trust. And again, a quick interjection. If my excuses were legitimate and that church wasn't actually using their finances to serve God, I shouldn't have not given them my money. I should have found a church whose mission I could stand behind. And I've been very impressed, as, as an aside, I've been very impressed with how this church goes about handling its finances. So many churches like to view themselves as the end user of the congregation's money, but so much of what comes in here, so much of what comes in here goes right back out. Just this week alone, because of the Dollar Club, we were able to help three different families who all had gotten their water shut off. One, uh, one woman's husband had just unexpectedly died. Another woman is a, a single mom with two kids, 13 and 15. I would imagine they're kind of expensive. She just got a little bit behind. Uh, we're able to help these people, and I thought that was awesome. And when I was talking with the lady from the water company on the phone, she actually told me that she's the one that gave one of these ladies our phone number and told them to call us. And she told me, you guys just seem so nice and willing to help. Thank you. <laughs> like, that, w- that, was great. that was great to hear, and I love, I love being able to help that. But genuinely, I hope that they don't see furrowed Christian church when we help people. I hope that they see Jesus. That's the point, because generosity is assumed, or supposed to be assumed, of all followers of Christ. And I am happy to see that this is a generous church. But during that time in my life, it wasn't actually that I couldn't afford to give. I just didn't fully trust God. I didn't trust God that I could give and be generous and still have everything that I could ever need and God does define need a little bit differently than we do, so don't like hear that wrong. Uh, but all of us in this room, all of us in this room live on a percentage of our income. Uh, that's not a novel idea. We all live on a percentage of our income. But if this room is an accurate sampling of the United States, which it probably is, that means most of us in here don't have any idea what that percentage is. Right? We live on a percentage of our income. We don't know what it is. We just spend our money. And I actually read a statistic this week that dumbfounded me, and that's the average American spends $1.22 for every $1 they earn. That didn't, that didn't really add up when I read that. I thought that was incredible. It's crazy. The old adage that you spend what you earn is actually wrong. Apparently, we spend more than we earn. Uh, so this is important to talk about because it's so prevalent here and at so many points in my life I thought the answer was more income right I'm living on what I make right now so that'll be really easy when I have more income I'll have more space and I'll be able to be generous with that money but that's not how it works because generosity is actually a mindset that's completely removed from our income and our position in society we think the key to generosity is more income, when in reality the key to generosity is contentment and trust in God. 
And I had a great, I had a great example of generosity growing up. I, I learned about it more the older I got, but my dad is actually one of the most generous people I have ever known. And I found out at some point in high school that his, that his business uh, actually was doing a whole lot better than I ever knew or our spending would have ever indicated. And I discovered that my dad budgets aside every single month a certain amount that my parents agreed on that he always makes sure is available to use when someone approaches him with a need. So growing up, I began to notice that a lot of people really held my dad in kind of a high regard in, in that sense. Uh, and that they knew, they knew he would give people stuff, not just his money, but he freely gave of his time, of our cars, of our house. There was nothing that we ever owned, my sister and I or my parents, there's nothing we ever owned that was viewed as just our own. So of course that meant uh, people would take advantage of him sometimes. He's been taken advantage of in some pretty huge ways before. And I asked him recently if he cares or if that bothers him, and he said no. He said, he said that's not my job. It's our job to be generous. If a need comes to me that I can take care of, I am going to do it. And so some, some of you may think like I did not too long ago that, well, that's really easy for him. He owns a business. He has, uh, he has the money to do it. But it turns out that that mindset for him started years earlier when he was a youth pastor in Michigan. And I was no more than two years old. My mom didn't work. She was taking care of my sister and I. We didn't have much. We didn't have much. But apparently, him setting money aside and helping any and every need that came to him started then. Andy Stanley has said, increasing your standard of living doesn't increase your quality of life. And with that example before me, I grew up slowly seeing something, slowly learning something. So when I moved off to college and I started being more in charge of my own finances, I learned another tough introspective question to ask myself, am I living like I am not the most important person in my story? My dad lived, my dad gave as if he wasn't the most important person in his story. And I was hopeful that that attitude would have just kind of naturally rubbed off on me. And at some points in my college career, it looked like maybe it maybe it kind of did. I was working at a church, a small church plant somewhat close by here, and, and they hired me to uh, kind of kick off their youth program. So we had stuff on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and, and they paid me a whopping $200 a month. I worked it out one time. I was working for like a buck seventy-five an hour. It was fine. I, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good time. But those two-ish years of my life have been, even, even to this day, the most generous two years of my entire life. Uh, I, I was a junior and a senior at that time, so I led life groups at the college. I would take freshmen out for food. I would help students buy stuff. I would help my sister until she got married because she was terrible at handling her finances. Uh, and I remember w one time I, I saw a man who was homeless outside of Walmart. So I, I picked him up, and we went to dinner together that night, just he and I, and uh, probably Taco Bell if I remember right. And I heard his story, and we, we talked for about an hour, and he actually had a job interview the next day, which I thought was awesome, uh, but it was supposed to rain that night, and he was dirty already, uh, so, so I took him to a hotel, we bought him a, uh, bought him a hotel night, uh, so that hopefully he could shower and stuff before his interview the next day, and uh, looking back on that night, that, that night cost me more than half a month's wage, 
And I don't say that to be impressive because my point is actually that that is the last time I have parted with a half a month's wage uh, for anybody other than myself. Uh, because the mindset was a little easier for me then because really at the end of the day, what's the difference between 200 and nothing? It's really not all that significant. Uh, but fast forward to graduation and right out of college, I worked for Mayberry Construction and I worked part-time at a small church just out of town. So that is still uh, the most money I've ever made. That was uh, uh, working two jobs and I lived uh, with three other guys in a tiny little house. So uh, expenses were low, income was high, and I had just started dating this hottie named Janie Weiss. And that 18-month period of my life was by far, by far the least generous I have ever been. I tried to think, I cannot think of one time in that entire 18-month period I gave anything to anybody. But the sneaky thing about it was, I was being so stinking smart. I had people twice my age applauding me for how smart I was being with my money because I wasn't, I wasn't spending what I was making. I was saving. I was saving like crazy because I decided I wanted to get married uh, and, I, and I wanted to do it right. So I got into my own apartment and I tracked expenses. I tracked everything that we ever spent money on and then I saved up. I saved up three months of rent, utilities, food, and everything so that before I ever asked Janie to marry me, I had three months. So if I didn't have a job, we could go three whole months before we had to make any changes. And during that time, I also spent quite a little bit too, uh, again, on good things. Like, I wanted the first time I told Janie I loved her to be really special, because we got to this point where she was, like, begging, you know, she's trying to drag it out of me. Um, so, <laughs> I can say that because she's not in here, so <laughs> she may have a different version of that story. <laughs> But I, want, I wanted it to be special, so I, I flew us to Chicago for one day. She, uh, she loved dolphins. They have the second-highest-rated second aquarium in the country, and they have a dolphin show there. That's one of the highest-rated in the country. She loved dolphins, so I took her there, and we flew back that night. And when, when we got engaged, I flew her out to Colorado, and we wanted to make a big deal out of that. Uh, so not bad things, good things, good for our future, good for our relationship. But you know what suffered amidst all of this wisdom? My relationship with God. I was living like I was the most important person in my story. Or at least Janie was. And she did want me, she, I, I let her read this before. She wanted me to specify that these weren't her decisions. I, I made these decisions without consulting her because she would have told me no. Um... But so often, I still live that way. So often, I have to look back in my life and remember the tough, introspective questions that I need to correct myself with. Am I really trusting God? Trusting that I can give and be generous and still have everything that I will ever need? And am I living like I am the most important person in my story? So this is the way I'm living when I interview and when I get accepted to this job. And we went home for Christmas uh, before I started in January, and I had a pretty significant come-to-Jesus moment over that Christmas. preacher made a comment one week, said, Sometimes we try to follow Jesus at the lowest possible cost. Man, that was so true of my life. I was working for God, I was tithing, but I was trying to follow Jesus at the lowest possible cost to me. 
What is the least I can do? What is the least I can do and still get by? And thank God, thank God that he did not think that way. Thank God that Jesus didn't sit around and wonder, hey, how can I help these people at the lowest possible cost to me? Because we know this, Jesus gave up everything to save us. He gave up his own life. And that's why generosity is supposed to be able to be assumed of people who claim to follow him. How can I say that I follow Jesus and continue to live my life at the lowest possible cost? Then something else happened that Christmas. See, my parents always go a little bit crazy with the Christmas gifting. Uh, to say excessive wouldn't quite be strong enough of a word. There's always, sometimes it annoys me, sometimes I like it. There's always a big gift, and there's always a whole bunch of like little ones also. And, and this year, though, they, they decided to forego the big gift, you know, where they really spend a lot of their money. And instead, they gave us the money that they would have otherwise spent on us and told us to go find someone who needed it. And that was awesome. I loved it. That was the best, best Christmas gift I have ever been given. And it led Janie and I to have a very serious discussion later in the coming weeks. What are we willing to give up for the sake of someone else? We decided that year that every single Christmas we would take a certain amount of money that would otherwise get spent on each other or on our family and intentionally seek out somebody who needed it. Again, don't be impressed, it's not very much. But that is a commitment that her and I will keep forever. And I know that that year had to just, it, it killed my dad on the inside. He loves getting us gifts. And I know that that was painful for him. But what came out of that difficult decision was so much more powerful. And that question, that question is so great because everyone can ask it. No matter where they are in their faith journey, if it's just the beginning, great. If we're 10 years in, there's always more that we can do. I don't want to continue to follow Jesus at the lowest possible cost because followers of Jesus at the lowest possible cost fill church buildings, but devoted disciples of Christ change the world. There's so much good that we can do in the world. Many times people who aren't People who aren't believers will, will say, you've probably heard this before, if God is so good, why are there starving people? Why is there disease, this, that, and the other? And if God is so good, why doesn't he do something about it? And my standard answer typically is, well, God did do something about it. He gave us Jesus. He gave us hope for our future to live with him again to ultimately redeem the entire world. But actually, it's, it's a lot more than just that. Uh, God also gave us the answer to bad things in the world right now called the church. And I found this research that was done just a couple of years ago. Get this. They found that if every person who claimed the title of Christian in the world gave just 10% of their income, not more, not less, just 10%, if everyone gave 10%, that number would come out to $168 billion. Now it is estimated that we could permanently eliminate poverty, as in create good jobs, give clean water to the entire world, have food, basic medical care, housing, and education for every single person on the planet at a cost of $93 billion. Just a little over half. Leaving the other $75 
billion for churches to use to pay staff and lead their general activities. God has done something to change the world. In his crazy wisdom, he gave us the church and within it, the power to change everything about this place. We just haven't done it yet. That's not God's fault. That's our fault. And it is so easy for me to lament and say, well, not everyone is ever going to do that. But for far too long, I sat on the sidelines and I was a part of the problem. The change has to start with me and never again am I going to be the reason that we can't make this world a better place for literally everyone in it, all in the name of Jesus. So what am I willing to give up for the sake of of the kingdom of God. This has been my struggle over the last seven-ish years of my life, but I have found that asking these questions helps correct myself when I'm wrong. Do I really trust God? Trust Him enough that I can give and be generous and still have everything that I need? Am I living like I am the most important person in my story? And what am I willing to give up so that somebody else can live better? So this is my huge exhortation to everyone here. Don't let today end without discussing those questions as a family. We all can ask those questions. Do I trust God? If your answer is no, I, I don't really even believe in this whole God thing, uh, that's actually awesome. I'm super glad you're here. This whole talk wasn't really directed at you, so I'm kind of sorry about that. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. But am I living like I'm the most important person in my story? Parents, are you living like your kids are the most important person in your story? I know that it's hard, but the lesson that they'll learn from you is so much more valuable than anything that you'll ever be able to give them. Students, what are you willing to give up for the sake of somebody else? I don't know if you realize this yet. Everything that you guys like to do costs your parents money. They probably don't let you know that because they're happy to do it. But it does. It costs them money, I promise. Uh, what isn't necessary? Don't let today go by without having this discussion as a family. Janie and I are going to go home tonight. We're going to discuss this. What is one thing that we're willing to live without for the sake of somebody else? It might be small. It might be huge. I don't know. I don't really care. Don't let today go by without having the discussion. And when you do have the discussion, post it on the friends who like for road page or just tell a bunch of people, do whatever you have to do. Not to be arrogant, but just so you have a whole bunch of people to be disappointed in you when you change your mind. <laughs> it works. It really does work. It helps. It, it, it helps with accountability. Uh, but also sharing, if just a few of us do it, but we share with other people, it's going to encourage everybody else to get on board. What are we willing to live without for the sake of somebody else because God has given us the ability to change the world. We are all, every single one of us, one single decision away from an entirely different life. That's the decision to trust. Do you guys pray with me? God, we love you so much. And God, I am sorry for the times in my life where my living and my money hasn't shown that. God, I just ask for wisdom in the coming hours today as, as uh, we discuss some things that we can live without. God, I ask that, that you give 
Janie and I wisdom and courage to actually, uh, to actually have this discussion and God to find ways that we can change the world in your name. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray.